Hey guys, welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of Dreamland Podcast. I'm your host, Mira, and tonight we're getting scared off our asses with the Black Eyed Kids. Let's get started. If you've heard of the Black Eyed Kids, you may or may not know when they came into popular existence on the internet. The first mention of them was in January of 1998 by a journalist in Abilene, Texas, who claimed he had a very frightening encounter with two inky-eyed beings that appeared to him as children. His name is Brian Bethel, and his account goes like this. In 1996, Brian went out to pay his internet access bill at a drop box in a shopping center parking lot. For the millennials listening, that's something we actually did back then. You could pay your utility bills um, either by mail with a check. You could go into the office and pay. You could call them like during business hours and give them your checking account or credit card info. Or you could go to these drop boxes that they would put outside of the offices, kind of similar to like an ATM. And you could just drop off your payment whenever you wanted, and they'd collect it first thing in the morning. So your bill would show as paid and you wouldn't be late. So around 9.45, he arrived at the strip mall. He parked near the marquee of the movie theater so that he could write his check by its light. The theater was playing Mortal Kombat at the time, and now I connect with this because I remember going to see that movie right after it came out. It was late one night, and I was with my high school boyfriend, and it's memorable to me because it was like an 11 p.m. or midnight weeknight showing and there was a man there with three small kids like I mean small kids like four five six seven um and even as like a 15 year old I was like damn that's bad parenting (laughs) but anyway Brian says that he's sitting there under the lights and he's beginning to write out his check when there's a sudden knock on his driver's window two boys stood there For a reason Brian didn't understand, a wave of terror washed over him. His fight-or-flight response was amping up. He wasn't sure exactly how old they were, but he guessed somewhere in the range of 10 to 14. The taller boy, seemingly the older one and in charge, was wearing a gray hoodie with a checkered pattern and jeans. He had olive skin and medium brown hair. Brian sensed a lot of confidence from this boy. The shorter one, who was smaller with pale skin and freckles, He seemed much more nervous. He was also wearing a hoodie, but this one was light green, and he had bright orange hair. They did not appear at all to be related. Brian notes that this is not his first strange experience, and that he gets a feeling when something strange is about to happen to him, making him aware that something is horribly wrong, and a sense that it's actually already too late to do anything about it. So, Brian rolled his window down, only a little, and the oldest boy spoke. Hey, mister, what's up? We have a problem. You see, my friend and I want to see the film, but we forgot our money. We need to go to our house to get it. Want to help us? Brian began to reply, uh, well, at that moment, the younger boy looked to the older boy as if shocked that Brian didn't immediately agree and open the car door. Brian noticed that they both began to get agitated. Come on, mister. We just want to go to our house. We're just two little boys. Something was very strange about the way they were speaking. They had no fear. Their diction was perfect. It was as if they were adults. As a journalist, Brian had interviewed lots of children, and never had he encountered kids like these. There was no stammering, no shuffling body language. Brian asked them what they were going to see, and the one boy replied, Mortal Kombat. Brian looked at the marquee. The last showing had already started. They knew Brian was stalling. Come on, mister, let us in. 
We can't get in your car until you do, you know. Just let us in, and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. Brian's mind must have gone into some kind of a trance. His hand was nearly at the door lock about to open it when he had the momentary presence of mind to pull it back before doing so. And then, at that moment, his mind was back. Only then did he notice that their eyes were pitch black. There was no iris, no pupil, just blackness gently reflecting the red and white lights of the movie marquee. The fact that he could see their cold black eyes apparently shocked them. He wasn't supposed to notice. He knows. He knows they aren't what they seem. Come on, mister, we won't hurt you. <laughs> Which I think is exactly what someone who wants to hurt you is going to say. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. Brian froze. He knew they didn't need a gun. Which, <laughs> okay, well, like, least calming thing to say ever. He reached for the gear shift. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. Brian threw his car into reverse and noped right the fuck out of there. Speeding out of the parking lot, he thanked God he didn't hit anyone while backing up. He could still see the boys in his peripheral vision, but when he turned to look straight at them one more time, the sidewalk, where they had been, was empty. Brian had a friend named Chad, who happened to be hanging out with another friend who claimed she had some psychic ability when Brian called him to retell the encounter. Chad put Brian on speaker. Brian told the story, leaving out the part about the black eyes, until the end, for dramatic effect when he was stopped cold by the woman. These children had black eyes, right? I mean, all black eyes? Brian answered affirmatively. I had a dream last week about children with black eyes, she said. They were right outside my house, wanting to be let in, but there was something wrong with them. It took me a while to realize it was the eyes. So what did you do, asked Brian. I knew if they came in that they'd kill me. And they would have killed you, too, if you had let them into your car. Brian says he felt like they were hunting him, as if he was their prey. Now, some argue that Brian is a writer, so he likely made up this story, but Brian denies that. He hasn't made any big profits from telling his story. In fact, it's actually hurt his journalism career, because if you Google Brian Bethel's name, this story is what comes up. He has been criticized, he's been called crazy, and accused of lying for sharing this experience. He's actually suffered insomnia and PTSD for years after this, often driving by the spot looking for them again. So that is the internet inception story of the Black Eyed Kids. There are stories that far predate the internet, but I'll get into them a little bit later. Let's talk about the characteristics of black-eyed kids for a while, and I'm going to go ahead and shorten their description from referring to them as black-eyed kids and just call them Becks, like B-E-K for black-eyed kids, mostly from this point on. Sorry if you find that cringy. So I'm going to start discussing what all their run-ins seem to have in common. So let's begin with telepathic mind control. They seem to be able to put you into a trance and influence your actions like they did with Brian when he found his hand was wandering to unlock his car door. It's hypnotic and suggestful, and they always seem to know what you're going to do before you do it. They're usually between 5 and 15 years old, 
and they seem to need help. Helping a child is hard for most anyone to resist, especially when they're so young and sometimes appear underdressed for the weather, showing up in rain or cold or snow without coats or shoes, sometimes appearing dirty and uncared for. They sometimes appear disheveled and pale, unhealthy. They disappear as soon as you look away. They say you can't enter your space without your permission. So what does that remind you of? I know everyone right now is yelling vampires at me, but that really is a common thread. So if this was some kid trying to rob you or something, what's stopping them from pushing their way in? What's making that rule for them that they can't come in without your permission? Is there some punishment for them if they enter without permission? Or are they literally unable to come in against your will? What's in charge of them? Maybe by granting them permission, you're giving them access to you. A musty, earthy smell often accompanies them. Their clothes appear vintage or homemade, like they couldn't quite get their appearance right. Like sometimes they look like they're from another time, or their clothing has no branding. Looks homemade. Something about it just looks wrong. They're emotionless until they get angry. Their eyes are completely black. Although all black contacts do exist, it's mostly for like movies and cosplay and stuff like that. They're expensive, they're hard to put in, and they're hard to see out of supposedly. I mean, kids aren't breaking out a hundred bucks for costume lenses for pranks. Noticing their eyes is usually what snaps people out of the trance that they seem to put you in. Either the person doesn't notice the black eyes right away, like they aren't seeing them for what they really are, or they turn black suddenly. They are often wearing hoodies or keep their heads down to hide their eyes. You find that in mythology, demons and evil beings, having black eyes is a common phenomenon. Even in Hollywood movies, it's a mark of possession or evil. It denotes a frightening, otherworldly kind of characteristic. They speak with perfect diction and speak like educated adults, usually sounding rehearsed. So, okay, I have a six-year-old and I can tell you that they shuffle around, they look around everywhere, they sometimes stutter or search for the right word when they're speaking to you. They definitely speak with emotion and attitude and feeling. The backs are well-spoken. They are demanding. They're monotone. At first, they come across as non-aggressive and polite, but they will keep asking, and if you continue to deny them, that's when they get angry. They become demanding. Uh, sometimes they're screaming. They're banging on the door. But if you hold their ground, if you hold your ground, they will eventually disappear. Some phrases that they're known to use are, we need to use the phone, we need to get home to mother, he's worried, let us in, we need to use the bathroom, and is it food time? Okay, ew. <laughs> I am like you, a human, not a being of darkness. So these things they say are really weird. Apparently, they have never actually physically assaulted anyone. 
They are often, uh, there are often electrical disturbances or periods of mistime around these experiences. They must ask for something they would have to come inside for. So they always have an excuse for needing to get into your space, whether it's your home or in your car. So what happens if you do let them in? Number one, do not let them in. Here's a really chilling story about someone who did. The answer may lie in a report sent into the paranormal website Weak and Weird. The account is from an anonymous woman from rural Vermont. One night around 2 a.m., the woman was sleeping when a sudden loud bang woke her. Looking through her window, she noticed a series of footprints through the snow surrounding her house. She could see someone standing at the front door, but feeling unsafe, she woke her husband. It was her husband who actually opened the door, revealing two children on the other side. The two children, a boy and a girl, appeared odd right away. Despite trudging through the snow, they were not wearing any heavy coats. Instead, they wore clothes reminiscent of Mennonites, despite the fact that no Mennonites lived anywhere near them. The woman stressed in her story that she normally wouldn't hesitate to welcome children in from a snowy night, yet she felt uneasy. She asked them where their parents were, to which they only replied, They'll be here soon. As cryptic as it is foreboding. Eventually, their parental instincts overcome their better judgment, and they allow the children to come into their room. The tone of the home shifted immediately. Pigeon, the couple's typically friendly house cat, became skittish and reluctant for interaction. He even retreated into the kitchen and hissed when the woman attempted to pet him. Hoping to ease some of the tension, the woman made hot cocoa while her husband stayed with the children. Upon returning, the husband mentioned that he was feeling dizzy. It was at that point that she noticed the children's eyes, black as coal. The children did not notice the woman's fearful reaction, or perhaps didn't care. Instead, they simply... Sorry guys, something fell. The children did not notice the woman's fearful reaction, or perhaps didn't care. Instead, they simply asked to use the bathroom and walked off as though nothing was strange at all. When the children left the room, the husband's nose began to bleed. She turned to get him tissues when suddenly everything went black. The power was out. But she could still make out the two children standing eerily still at the end of the hallway, just staring at her. Our parents are here. Without another word, the children walked past them and out the front door. The couple watched as the kid walked to the end of the driveway, where two men waited by an idling car for them. The men were described as six feet tall, in black suits, not reacting to any of the couple's attempts to get their attention. The ordeal continued over the following months. Three house cats disappeared from the house, and Pigeon tragically died of an hemorrhage. Her husband developed skin cancer, developing at such a rate that even the doctors were left baffled, although they do remain hopeful that he will recover. The woman herself was not left unscathed. She developed health issues similar to the effects her husband had experienced, namely nosebleeds and sudden dizzy spells. So that's really scary. Did the Becks actually cause their illnesses? Could they have been an omen, foretelling tragedy? I lean towards them actually causing the chaos. I mean, 
the immediate nosebleed, the power going out, the dead and missing pets, all seem like way too much bad luck to have randomly happened when these kids just happened to show up at two in the morning. And what about their parents? These men sound like the men in black connected to extraterrestrial visits. But I guess we really just don't have enough details about them. I wish they had responded to the older couple so that we would have a better description of them. Next, let's get into the folklore about similar entities to the Black Eyed Kids in history. Although most stories are contemporary, there is one predating the internet. Here's the Iroquois legend of the Atkan. The Iroquois talk about good and bad energies. The Atkan is a broad term for the negative energy and beings around us and in the underworld. Some of these evil entities were told to have mated with human women, resulting in a black-eyed child with pale skin. These children were killed immediately, recognized as evil hybrids. Other times, children who wandered into the woods too far from home and were lost were easy targets for the evil-minded one to infect with the Otcon. These children were recognized by their black, by their black eyes. It was said they were now the evil one's servants, and that they would infect the other children. The Becks acted peculiar, repeated themselves frequently, and paced around nervously. It is said their goal was to destroy the tribe with Atkan. The children infected with Atkan were said to be ferocious, mean, and had a taste for human flesh. In 1914, in Mohawk, New York, an Andrew J. Davis Jr. made an archaeological find of a piece of Native American art, which was a buffalo skin from around the 1600s. What you see in this art is a young Mohawk man, and he has two snakes coming out from either side of him, which are representing the Atkan. But what you notice the most is that the young man has completely black eyes. This sounds to me very close to what Bex might actually be and might actually give us a glimpse of their purpose. One more even older story actually comes from Scandinavia and this one is about the Mealings. In Scandinavian folklore, a Mealing is a child which has been left to die in the wilderness by a mother who is unable to care for it or to hide an undesirable birth. Denied a name or proper burial, the mealing seeks revenge. The mealing will ask you for things. Now, that sounds familiar, right? And they're known to try to hitch a ride with travelers. So, okay, we have two of the major actions of the Black Eyed Kids. They are encountered in places where a mother or parents might leave a child to die. These would be marshes, outhouses, cairns, and forests. You will sometimes hear a child there calling for help. The only way to give it rest, to give it the rest that it seeks, is by finding the body and giving it a proper burial. If the mother or parents have any other children in the future, the mealing will return and claim the lives of those children. The mealing will age slowly. The word mealing comes from the Norse mirtha, meaning murdered. Mealings look like children, but slender and with hollow black eyes. This uh, cultural folklore actually predates Christianity, so we're talking way before even the Iroquois uh, Akan legend. Now, it would be 
pretty hard to deny a link between the Black Eyed Kids in the U.S., since that's where a lot of the stories are coming from. But these stories do occur in other countries. They often differ slightly, but these creatures do exist around the globe in other cultures. So perhaps it's that the experiencer has a role in how the experience itself plays out. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. All right, let's go ahead and move on to a few anecdotes. These are some particularly spooky stories that I found. Hopefully they're not ones that you've heard too many times before. I tried not to repeat uh, ones that I heard in other podcasts or that I saw in other YouTube videos. So let's go ahead and get into the first one. It begins... It almost felt like a dream. I woke up to my dog Lucy barking. She was upright on the bed where my husband and I were sleeping with our 22-month-old daughter, staring out the door like an unknown stranger was out there rummaging around. I thought she was just freaking out over a house noise. We'd only had her for three months and she was still a puppy. It could have been anything. Our roommate, a creak from the house settling, the awnings moving outside in the breeze. I wasn't too concerned initially. I decided the best bet would be, to, would be to open the door and show her nothing was there. It sounds a bit silly, but it's what we do with our daughter when she gets scared, and I figured it should work with a puppy, too. I opened the door, and she raced to the front door. She stood there, snarling. It was an angry, violent growl, one that I had never heard her make before. I looked groggily at her and opened the baby gate, blocking the doorway, planning to open the door and show her that everything was okay. The second my hand reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went wild. She started barking and jumped toward me, and when I touched the metal, she suddenly changed her temper. She whimpered, almost as if she was afraid and backing down. As her mannerism changed, so did mine. I wasn't calm anymore. My heart was racing and sinking at the same time. I had been flooded with a mixture of fear and dread. I looked through the peephole. I can't explain why I looked, but I did. Outside were two kids. One was just a, a smidgen shorter than me, and didn't look much younger. I'm 21, and she looked to be about 16 or 17. She was slender and pale. Her hair was a light shade of honey blonde, and she wore it long, about mid-back, with long, thin, blunt bangs in the front that covered most of her eyes. She wore jeans, a light wash that's popular right now, and a thin-looking, olive-colored pullover-style hoodie. She held the hand of a smaller girl, who looked to be around three or four, in the same style jeans and a button-down ivory cardigan. The smaller one looked at the floor shyly, but had the same shade of hair tied back into a ponytail. She held a stuffed toy under her free arm, and it was identical to one my daughter has, as was their style of dress. Had it not been for the feeling of overwhelming dread and fear, I probably would have asked these children in and given them some tea or hot chocolate to get them out of the bitter cold. Something about them seemed off. At this point, I hadn't made any noise. I hadn't shushed the dog or grumbled. Nothing. I hadn't turned on any lights. These kids had no indicators. I was at the door. The older one spoke. She had a voice that was mature, confident, strong, and accentless. She held her head tilted downward, and I couldn't see her eyes. She said, 
We have to use your phone. I stood frozen in fear. How did she know I was there? She raised her head to face me directly, and that was when I saw her eyes. There was a reason I couldn't see them through her bangs before. They were black, or midnight blue, or a dark, dark purple. They were otherworldly. She said, Our mother is worried. As someone who has always been interested in creepy stories, I knew what she was the second she looked at me through the door. I have never been one to believe in these things. As a staunch atheist and skeptic when it comes to the paranormal, I had written off many a ghost story from friends and family members eager to tell their tales. I didn't believe it. Still, I couldn't rationalize my way out of this. I was standing with nothing but a thin wooden door between me and a black-eyed kid. There was no questioning what was right, what was right in front of me. I did not answer her. Slowly and silently, I backed away from the door, Lucy still cowering at my ankles. She kept talking. Just let us in to use your phone. I took another step back, and with that step, her tone changed. At first, she seemed polite. When I took that second step back, she became commanding, almost hostile. We're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have broken in. I'll ask again. May we come in and use your phone? Lucy snarled at the door, and I inched backward. Though something inside me seemed to be pulling me back towards the door, it wasn't a physical pulling as much as a subconscious need to go back and let them in. I got to my room, covered up the window, locked the door, and sat there in the dim of the nightlight. I heard her call me back to the door once more, and then quiet. I didn't go back to sleep that night, and I haven't slept right since. I know from reading about them that Bex can't just come in without permission. I know they haven't hurt anyone, but I still fear I'll be the exception. When I told my husband, he said it was just a dream. He keeps telling me to forget it, but this lingering feeling of sadness, this dread when the house is silent at night, this fear of a knock at the door, this tells me otherwise. Okay, so... This was scary on another level. Um, being stalked by black-eyed kids is one thing, but having these creepy kids on your doorstep trying to get in your house when you have your baby there is a whole different type of fear. <laughs> but also, what the fuck is up with the husband? He doesn't wake up to the barking dog. And the wife doesn't get him up? What? I, If they're... If there were a couple of black-eyed kids on my doorstep in the middle of the night, I would be waking up every single person in my house, turning on all the TVs, all the lights. Like, no way I'm sitting in there alone and terrified until the morning. That part of the story didn't quite make a whole lot of sense, but, I mean, everyone's different. I suppose she could have been embarrassed, maybe, especially since she said... She didn't really believe in the supernatural, and it sounds like her husband didn't really believe her either. Our next story begins. Last night was like any other night. I was switching between listening to music and watching YouTube videos with one headphone in, so I can hear my infant daughter if she cries. That way my wife can get a full night's sleep. She works at 4 a.m. at the hospital every day. When I decide to go down and lay in the spare bed in the baby's room, just as I dozed off, I heard a thumping coming from the front porch. Startled at first, I opened my eyes wide and scanned the room. Realizing it was most likely my cat scratching himself on the front porch, I dozed back off. 
Then again, the thumping. Damn cat. I got out of bed to run him off the porch, only to see he wasn't there anymore. Now that I was up again, I wasn't the least bit tired. I figured I'll just get some tea and check Facebook while I'm up, maybe finish the web series I was watching on YouTube. A few minutes into the video, I feel the sudden urge to look up at the kitchen window. There they were. The tops of two short, statured people's heads were cresting the stairs just above my window frame. The people were just short enough to not see in the window, but I could see out. I heard no footsteps on my porch as my stomach turned. But the knock, knock, was a steady hollow thump. The very same thump I had just blamed on my cat. Deciding it was best to not answer, I shut my laptop and crept by the door back to the baby's room. I assumed it was some of the people from the low-income housing across the road from me that were high, or hiding from the cops, or maybe just looking for my cousin, who stays with me often and has many friends over there. The last thing I needed was to try to explain to two stoners that I was trying to sleep, even though it was 2 a.m. It wasn't until I got to my daughter's room that the creepiness set in. The thump had moved from the kitchen to the bedroom windows. Both windows, a room apart, thumping in perfect time. These stoners were going to wake up my daughter if I didn't run them off now. Pissed off, I went to the kitchen, unlocked and opened the door, ready to run around to the side of the house and kick some little idiot's ass. It happened then. Standing there looking up at me were two 10 or 11 year old boys. The feeling of dread and the smell of mold almost made me vomit. The smaller of the two then spoke. May we use your telegraph? Huh? I just stared blankly at these boys, horrified of what I then realized. Their eyes were pitch black. He asked again to use my telegraph. There wasn't a sound to be heard. No crickets chirping, no dogs barking, no cars driving by, nothing. I tried to play it cool and ignore the fact that he didn't say telephone, phone, or cell, anything that would have made any sense of the situation, and calmly replied, I don't have service at my house, sorry. The expressions on their faces turned to rage as I finished my sentence. Swiftly, I shut the door and locked it as quickly as I could, then stumbled back to protect my daughter. I picked her up from her crib and held her close. The fact that she didn't wake up freaked me out the most, but I managed to gather my senses enough to make sure she was still breathing and warm. Everything seemed okay with her. The thumping on the kitchen windows was back. I dropped to the floor as close to the walls as I could and held my little girl in my arms and wept like a child. I felt helpless and afraid. I lied there for what felt like hours, crying and shaking until I heard it. My wife's alarm clock. The thumping stopped the instant the alarm went off, and I crept into the master bedroom with the baby. "'What's wrong with you?' my wife asked. "'I just had a bad dream,' is all I could mutter out. "'Okay, well give me the baby so I can feed her before work.' I handed my wife the baby, and she fed her like any normal day. I turned on every light in the house and made coffee for her. For some reason, just having her awake calmed my nerves enough to pretend like nothing happened. I walked her out to the car nervously with the baby in my arms. I asked her not to leave until I walked back into the house. She was put off by the request, but did so to humor me. 
Once I was safely in the house, I locked the door again, and in the house I sat horrified until she got home. I insisted we go to the next town over and stay the weekend at my brother's house. And here I sit, horrified, while she sleeps in the guest room with my daughter, wondering why they stopped when the alarm went off. I think I know the answer. I was aware of Bex when she wasn't. Every story I've read about them is from someone who already knew about them. Maybe, just maybe, knowledge of them existing is the only reason they visit. I'm afraid, and I'm sorry. Well, okay, um, damn, that was an interesting theory about only people knowing they exist, being able to experience them, but actually I've heard plenty of stories where they'd never heard of them beforehand, so perhaps there's some other reason, like, maybe they didn't want her or the baby, which is why neither her nor the baby woke up. That seems a little more likely to me than what he thought. I've got another story here. This one begins. John Norwood was heading to his car on the third floor of a parking garage when one of the guys from the conference he'd just attended, Doug, asked him to drive him around the block a few times. He said there were some freaking looking kids hanging around his car and was hoping to kill some time while waiting for them to wander off. John let Doug in, and they started cruising. When they neared his car, John saw the group Doug was talking about and agreed they were creepy. Three boys, uh, three kids, two boys and a girl, all, all gothed out. The girl looked about 15, the boys around 14 and 10. They were intense, but John described it as if he really needed to look at them. He stopped driving. The kids maneuvered around his car, and the youngest one said, it's scary out there all alone, and we just want to ride home. One said Doug had offered them a ride home, which he denied. John felt as if his heart was going to erupt from his throat as adrenaline raced through him. Doug said he was getting out of the car. As soon as he reached for the handle, it was like the children got older somehow, and he saw their eyes were solid black. No pupil, no iris, nothing, just black. John threw the car into reverse and drove backwards, about 60 feet. The kids began to pursue them, so John took the car around the lot's corners, going around 30 miles an hour. He felt that they would die if he let those kids get to the car. He sped down three floors, only to find the oldest boy was already at the bottom of the garage when they came out. They sped past him out of the garage. When John turned around, the boy was gone and so was that menacing feeling that had been building inside him since making contact with those kids. They waited ten minutes before going back to Doug's car. The black-eyed children were nowhere in sight. It was then that Doug admitted he had given the younger kid a ride earlier, but felt scared when he saw the older child. Upon leaving the garage for the second time that night, the menacing feeling returned. John was behind Doug's car, watching helplessly as he misjudged the time it would take to get through the intersection on a yellow light. Doug was struck by a truck and died instantly. The police arrived and John gave his report, feeling uneasy the whole time. Only then did he look around and see the black-eyed children standing two blocks away, staring at him. Wow, so 
there is one of those stories where we find out what happens if you let these black-eyed kids in with you. Again, they don't hurt you themselves, but just being in their presence will, it seems, bring on tragedy for you. And this is the first story where I would hear that someone actually died as a result of an interaction with these kids. Here's a shorter story, but I found it really interesting. It's a little bit different than the other ones we've heard. This tale was posted online by a friend of the victim. It was while on a trip through Arcata, California, that this anonymous man stopped for a drink and ended up hitting it off with the attractive, wo attractive woman running the bar. After a bit of drinking and getting to know each other, she offered the traveler a place to stay for the night, and he drunkenly accepted. He left his car at the bar and headed back to her place. As they pulled into the front, that's when the unease crept in. He wasn't sure why, but her home creeped him out, and she started to creep him out as well. He claims she began to seem inhuman to him. This didn't stop him from going inside with her, though. After the woman had fallen asleep, he got up to get water. During his trek to the kitchen, he realized her house was full of children. They weren't normal children, either. They were quiet and creepy and wandering around the house aimlessly at 2 a.m. He had a horrible feeling about them before he even noticed their eyes. Completely black, all of them. There was no conversation, no attack. He was just faced with the black-eyed children and then sent off on his merry way the next day. A little over a month after his strange experience, the man, described as very healthy, was diagnosed with an aggressive form of bladder cancer. He died six months later, believing it was those black-eyed children that were responsible. So here it is again. An alleged confirmation that just being around black-eyed kids will cause catastrophe for you. My last story for the night begins like this. 18-year-old Karis Holdsworth was heading home to her apartment after a night out. It was just before 11 p.m. She noticed there were two teenage boys she'd never seen before just standing in her yard. This put her on edge a bit, so she reached into her purse to make sure her pepper spray was readily available. With a firm grip on her only weapon, she attempted to sneak past them unnoticed. No such luck. They both turned simultaneously. She instantly felt a primal terror and gripped the canister still in her purse. As if they knew what was hiding in her bag and what she was thinking, the older one said, No need for that. We just want to borrow your phone, miss. It was then that Holdsworth noticed their eyes. Pitch black, no white at all. She felt her, fight, her flight response kick into gear as she darted for her door, fumbling for her keys as the black-eyed boys followed her. Please, miss, my mother won't be happy if she doesn't know where we are. Every instinct in her knew she had to get away from them. Part of her felt a twinge of guilt considering and considered helping them, but that feeling was quickly buried in deep by a sense of dread that was steadily washing over her. She made it inside, slammed the door shut, and locked it with a sigh of relief. She headed for her kitchen, but then came the knock. She decided to ignore it, 
They knocked again, and that feeling of dread began to make its way through her body. She decided she'd brave a silent peek through the peephole. There they were, staring at her through the peephole as if they could see inside. Just let us in to use the phone, one said. We won't hurt you. We have no weapons to hurt you with. Holdsworth ordered them to leave her alone. She made sure everything was locked tight and called a friend to come over. The boys didn't leave until the friend showed up, who felt the same overwhelming sense of danger when she arrived. Holdsworth soon moved away after that, and now always checks her peephole before opening the door. And there's that remark we've heard about them making before, that they have no weapons to hurt you with. It's pretty easy, I think, to read between the lines when they say this, like, Hey lady, we don't have a weapon to hurt you with, because we don't need a weapon to be able to hurt you. Well, how was that for some scare your pants off stories? After reading all those accounts the last couple days, I will definitely be on the highest alert after dark if someone knocks on my door. <laughs> I mean, I live in the Pine Barrens to begin with, which is rural and creepy enough at night, but now I've got one more reason to be on edge. For our next part, and you know my favorite part, we're going to talk about theories. One theory about the Becks is that they are all just creepypastas. So let me briefly explain what a creepypasta is. It comes from the term copy and paste. People would see scary stories written online and just copy and paste them to other websites. The stories then make their way around and new stories are written using the same subject. So did the Becks begin as creepypasta? There is some debate. An example of one thing that for sure did come from creepypastas is Slenderman. That's something that came from a picture that won a Photoshop contest on a website called Something Awful where a user, Eric Knudsen, made up the creature. And even though Slenderman isn't real, it took off with kids who got really into it, some claiming they had sworn allegiance to the fictional character, and actually committing pretty horrible crimes in its name. So these ideas can, in a way, come to life when they're thought by some to be real, Though some stories are clearly made up, others actually have a ring of truth. While collecting these stories, it's likely most are half truth and half embellishment. It is possible that by publishing this story on the internet, we're helping Brian Bethel create a reality where black-eyed kids do exist. Are we manifesting them into existence right at this moment while I talk about them? I think that's a fascinating way to look at things. So, are Becks invented by the internet? Maybe, but I don't think so. Now, what if they are real kids playing pranks on people? Although all black contact lenses exist, it's mostly for movies and like cosplay. They are expensive, they're hard to put in, and I understand that they're also really hard to see out of. Kids aren't breaking out a hundred bucks for costume lenses for pranks, but okay, that's possible. Although remember, a lot of these kids are as young as five or six, so would they be pulling these advanced pranks? What also nullifies this theory for me is that they can disappear in a moment if you look away 
Same goes for the argument that these kids are kids that have medical conditions or that they're on drugs that um, dilate your eyes. Well, homeless kids on drugs could definitely look disheveled and have like a forwardness or a willingness to confront you asking for things or trying to get into your house. That still doesn't explain disappearing in an instant or the inability or the ability to uh, put you into a suggestive state. Next, vampires. Could they be vampires? The similar the similarities can't be ignored. I'll say that for sure. They almost always appear after dark. They have the ability to put you in a trance and manipulate your actions telepathically. They disappear in an instant. Many vampires are described as having black soulless eyes. They want to enter your property, but can't without your permission. This all sounds like pretty vampire-y to me. Oh, and don't forget, they often talk as if they're from, like, a time past, like, educated adults. But in the no column for them being vampires, we have never seen them hurting anyone physically. Even in the story where the woman and her husband did let them in, they didn't attempt to assault them or take their blood. And in many stories, they aren't trying to get into your home. They want into your car. And there's nothing about vampires needing permission to attack you in your car. So, could they be hybrid alien children? Well, the eyes would be similar. All black and glassy like the greys. Also, their size. They might be adults after all, but just smaller in stature, like the gray ETs. But aliens usually come with UFO sightings, which aren't known to coincide with black-eyed kid encounters. And why would ETs need permission to come in? Like, do they have some kind of abduction honor code? I should also bring up, in one of the stories that I read, remember the kids said their parents are here, and their parents turned out to be these two men in black suits, tall men in black suits. So, I mean, it's an idea, but again, I don't think so. Now, what about hallucinogenic experiences? In 2014, a British newspaper published a bunch of stories of encounters with black-eyed kids that went back all the way to the 1980s. A lot of these people believe they were being haunted by ghosts, there was a paranormal investigator by the name of Lee Brickley, and he was looking into sightings on Cannock Chase in Staffordshire, England. He had heard from many people that they'd seen a ghost-like little girl that had cold, pitch-black eyes. Now, people from all over were claiming that they'd seen other black-eyed kids in this same area. The newspapers published a story claiming that there had been a military experiment that resulted in an accidental chemical leak that was causing hallucinations. But I definitely don't agree with this one. I mean, everyone's brain is going to react to a certain type of chemical differently. I mean, I've never heard of a hallucinogen that produces the same type of image for everyone, you know? Who knows, maybe the government had some top-secret drug experiment that makes you only trip black-eyed children, which, that's fucking scary to think about, but I'm sure in most cases everyone would be tripping on something different, and I've got some credibility on this subject, man. I have tripped a lot, like, a lot, a lot. Um, LSD, microdots, shrooms, ecstasy, I mean, 
a lot of times, okay? And I have never had a shared hallucination with anyone else. I feel strongly that they are an evil spiritual entity. So let's agree they're real. What are they and what do they want? My vote is for evil entities, maybe an elemental evil, possibly interdimensional beings. I don't believe in demon as demons as like described in the big three religions, but I I do believe that evil exists and these beings create such fear in the people who encounter them that any other possibility really makes no sense to me. The fascinating part is why do they need your consent consent and what are you consenting to? Is it possession? Do they need a body to dwell in to convince you to allow them in? Manipulating you with the appearance of a child in need is genius, right? Do they need to take your soul because they're soulless? Do they feed on your body? Do they feed on your soul? Do they even maybe feed on fear? Let me know what you think. I'd love to carry this discussion about theories um, over to Twitter. You can find me there at dreamland underscore pod. You'll also find all my links pinned there. I'm on Instagram at dreamland.pod. The shows also go up on YouTube at dreamland podcast and email me whatever you want at dreamland podcast Mira. That's M E R A at gmail.com. I hope you guys had fun with me tonight on this topic because I had a great time researching these creepy little freaks. Be safe, and I will see you on the next episode of Dreamland Podcast. Bye!